pledged to give up saying the F word for the month of Elul, but there are still a few weeks uh, left in the month of Av, so we actually have no idea what he might say. And so if bad language offends you, maybe just tune back in in Elul. Guys, do you know that um, Mark put one of his cats on antidepressants for all that he like makes fun of everyone else? Just new piece of information. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's most popular Jewish podcast. I'm Stephanie Butnick, the world's most popular co-host. Mark Oppenheimer is out this week, and I'm in charge. It's already gone to my head. I'm joined today by Tablet senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Shalom. And back by popular demand, producer Shira Talushkin. Good morning. We have an amazing show lined up for you guys. Um, our Jews of the week, there are three, which is, I think, a, a record. Leah Gottfried, Jessica Schechter, and Danny Hoffman, the team behind the popular web series Soon By You, which details the dating drama of young modern Orthodox Manhattanites. Our Gentile of the Week is conservative writer Rod Dreher, whose latest book is The Benedict Option, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation. I bought that book for like 20 people. It's a good book. I'm fanboying so hard I'm right so now. excited for you. This, this is, is like on par with like Star Trek people for me. And it's like you don't have Mark here, so you can just like I do like, it. I just go all in. And you know I'm not going to like keep, keep control over this thing <laughs> at all. We're going off the rails. So guys, what's going on? Shira, how does it feel like to be back on the other side? It's so fun. I'm in the middle of like a three week. I've been in a different city, basically. I've been living out of a suitcase for three weeks. And so Argo Studios really feels like home right it now. It is home. It is home. Well, what's going on with you? So I have a new F word. Oh my God. Yes. It's not even Elul yet, but it's you're previewing not even the- Elul yet. And look at me. So we, we asked our dear listeners for help. And Because uh, our- this is what we should remind listeners is... Because someone got offended that you are cursing too much now. Yaakov wrote to us and said that I am cursing way too much. And it's like, it's not even funny it's anymore. It's not, just annoying. It's not good. And so, and so I pledged for the, for, the, for the introspective month of Elu leading up to the, to the high holidays and, and the moment of, of terrible divine judgment. I will find a different F word. And, and we asked listeners for their help. And our friend Mordechai Lightstone uh, of, of Chabad fame and glory delivered the word. Drum roll, please. Fabrengen. Shira, do you want to explain Fabrengen? Um, a Fabrengen is basically the hippest Hasidic party around. You get to go chill with the Rebbe for like hours and he teaches you lots of beautiful Torah. And, and you, you drink, drink heavily. Yeah, you drink. I mean, if you want to see drunk seven-year-olds, I'll stop there. But um, just they're super fun. So can you practice it in a sentence? Yeah. Our Fabrengen president really Fabrengened up this week. All right, we'll get we'll get to that. But I guess it's time for some some NOTJ, some news of the Jews. Um, the world's oldest man, Holocaust survivor Yisrael Kristel, died Friday, just one month shy of his 114th birthday. What a life! What a, a life! A candy maker. Yeah. Yeah. Who, um, when asked what message does he have for you know the ages, he said. Things are so much worse now than they've ever been in my lifetime. And this is a man who survived the Nazis Literally and the Soviets. survived the Holocaust. That is... Like, uh, you know what's worse? Facebook. Ugh. Um, here's, a, here's a great gem. The manager of a hotel in Switzerland apologized after signs instructing Jewish guests to shower before entering the pool and to only access the refrigerator at certain times went viral. Uh, Ruth Toman told JTA, I have nothing against Jews, whom we regularly receive warmly here. I may have selected the wrong words. The signs should have been addressed to all the guests instead of the Jewish ones. 
instead of the dirty Jews. Like what? I mean, all in guests her, matter. In her defense, apparently, it's like only Jewish guests had been allowed access to the fridge at all because they had kosher food needs. Oh. So it was just like, hey, Jews, because we've decided to let you have access to the fridge, like these are the hours you can do it. But it, I mean, and hey, also Jews, like don't, literally, don't ruin my fridge. <laughs> no, but literally, Israel's time. deputy foreign minister released a statement condemning the actions as an anti-Semitic act of the worst and ugliest <laughs> kind. And I'm just like, girl, we, yeah. like, let's talk about, like, we've seen worse and uglier things than a sign. Also, like, with, this with showers. Like, you know, we've, we've known like, it's the worst. Like, right, right. Telling, people telling us to shower has usually meant worse things than that, this. That's right. So, uh, chill out. We, we good. We good, Switzerland. Oh, wow. Uh, the Jewish LGBT dating site Saw You at Stonewall, which we talked about a few weeks ago, had to change its name after pressure from the website Saw You at Sinai. It is now known as Yenta Over the Rainbow. There is literally no way to improve on that story. I don't fully understand. It's a great site still. Um, but remember how J-Swipe, J-Date was mad at J-Swipe for using the J because they said they like had trademarked the J. Yeah. And then they ended up just buying J-Swipe. <laughs> And now they're just like one conglomerate. So so maybe that could happen here. I feel like Yenta Over the Rainbow is the title of a really great Orthodox Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, I mean, I prefer Yentl Over the Rainbow as, as far as my musical theater goes. I kind goes. of want them to buy them. And then you go on to like Saw You at Sinai and it's like Saw You at, and you have two options, like Saw You at Sinai or Stonewall. Like, like choose where did your I own see adventure. You? you guys have probably heard of Bitcoin, but have you heard of Bitcoin, the new Jewish cryptocurrency? Uh, with 10% of its earnings going to Sadaka, the Russian startup is billing itself as the first kosher currency of the digital age. The phrase Jewish cryptocurrency makes me hella uncomfortable. A little bit, a little bit nervous there. But I love that there's an entrepreneur like, you know what the world is missing? You know, Jewish you know, money. <laughs> Jewish money. Overtly Jewish we, money. We need more of that. We need to, we need to claim that. To be proud. Uh, yeah, that'll help us, you know. In the, Next, in the... we, should do, we should do movies. A <laughs> uh, Jewish wedding was held in Radzino, Poland this month, just without any Jews. Um, the event featured non-Jewish volunteers dressed up as the bridegroom and rabbi and was an attempt to teach villagers about pre-war local <laughs> Jewish life. I'm really okay with that. I think it's great. Hey, villagers, remember how we killed all the Jews? So here's what we're going to do now. They technically didn't kill the Jews, but... Technically, they did not. It was the Nazis. We know, Polish government, you're very sensitive. Um, and I have to say, Teresa Ronska, who's a who's an actress with the Jewish theater in Warsaw, they brought her in and to like ensure authenticity, and she choreographed everything from the ketubah signing to the traditional Jewish music that was played. Yeah, the one thing I have is that Whenever you reenact Jewish culture and it's always this like ultra orthodox. So if you look at the wedding they do, it's a very, very orthodox traditional wedding. And it makes people, I think, in Poland feel more like, oh, Jews really were other. Whereas obviously a big part of a country engaging with its anti-Semitic past is like you didn't just turn on the obvious weirdos who look yeah. nothing like you. Like you literally turned on your next door neighbor. And I think sometimes the adoption and memorization only of orthodox Jewish culture ignores that. Way to spoil the wedding, Shira. Jeez. But I have to say but that. Tov, but, people are just but, here to be drunk. But, you know. What kind of fabrengen is that? You know, residents of the village of Radzino are invited to my wedding to see, you know, like a. Uh, Sort of more laid back Jewish wedding. <laughs> That's right. Got a canter. Like, wait, it's going to be you, great. If you're from Radzino and you happen you to be in see Long how Island. Long Island does weddings, you come on. It'll, it'll cost you $18,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we will cover your airfare. 
Um, so enough, that's enough, enough sort of, of the, the light-ish stuff. We need to talk about, obviously, what happened. And any other news of hating the Jews in, this Yeah, week? speaking of hating the Jews, um, in Charlottesville last weekend, uh, neo-Nazis and white supremacists descended on the city, marching on the UVA campus with tiki torches Friday night. And on Saturday, a man affiliated with a white supremacist group drove into a crowd of counter-protesters, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer and injuring uh, many others. After initially blaming the violence um, on, quote, many sides, uh, Donald Trump two days later conceded that racism is evil and that the Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazis and white supremacists are, quote, criminals and thugs. It took the Fabrengen president two Fabrengen days to condemn Nazis. This is this is where we are Guys, in, in America. It's 2017. Like, why are we talking about Nazis? Why are Nazis in the news? I just like it's so horrifying to me. So here's my favorite thing about this this demonstration. So I've obviously been reading every every word about this, and a bunch of Jewish reporters who've gone down to cover the the, the riots um, reported back, or at least one of them did, that some of the neo Nazis called him Shlomo. Now, on this show, we very frequently use the term Shlomo. Uh, you know, and 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 do the Shlomo voice. A term voice. of affection. Uh, a, term, a term of great affection, which leads me to believe that there is quite a good possibility that Nazis, who are obsessed with all things Jewish, may be listening to an Orthodox. Like to find out like, our ways and our I secrets. I think so. That's weird. How do you think the happy Nazis... Happy for the traffic, not super happy for, you know, like the demographic. But do you think the Nazis, like, have their own favorites? These things like, yeah, I'm totally a Stephanie fan. Her sensibilities are so... Of the moment. I, I love how on Instagram, yeah. I like how your Nazis are like still German. Still German. I'm sorry. <laughs> As opposed to like a crew cut guy <laughs> in a polo, white polo yeah, shirt. Like, let's go. Which, uh, by the way, would probably be the big like Mark Oppenheimer Nazi fan. Do they like, do dress. The Nazis oh, did dress a little bit like Mark. It's really worth watching some of the videos. Vice did an amazing um, interview with a bunch of these, with a bunch of the neo-Nazis. Because I think... I mean, it's obvious to us that anti-Semitism is not just an incidental part of the alt-right, but like a central one. I mean, yeah, like this this is real and they're really anti-Semitic. Do you know what the best antidote is to, to a Nazi? Mm. A badass Jew with a big-ass gun. Yeah. Always has been, always will be. Well, short of that, though... Um, <laughs> No, it, it's it's really frightening. And in a weird way, like, it does always, it, if it doesn't start with the Jews, it kind of ends with them. Like, I don't mean to get so serious, but it's it's freaking scary. Literally, hating Jews is, like, the number one, like, Western evil has always hated the Jews. It's always come down to this. Like, like literally, there's not, like, an evil regime, certainly in the Western world. Like, I mean, there's obviously places where, like, what are Jews? <laughs> Maybe I hate them. I don't yeah. know. I probably um, hate them. But there's, there's literally, North Korea's there's like, no I don't evil. know what they are, but probably bad. I mean, this is why anti-Semitism is so poignant, because it, like, it can can unite the right and the left because there's no there's no materialization of evil in the West where anti-Semitism isn't somewhat central to it. That's totally bizarre. Right. Not to like self-center ourselves in every hate culture, but they do it for us. Which is why I really think every time these Fabrenkin Nazis march on cities and they have more more rallies planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should be there, and I, and I think yeah. we should. We specifically us in this room. Well, or yeah, we Jews? at least those of us in this room really comfortable with firearms. But we Jews should be there and be like, hey, hello. And I've actually been struck. We've had a lot of stories in the past years of like 
neo-Nazi white nationalist crazy people who have come away. And if you go back and look at the stories, it's always be, been because some Jew like reached out to them. Right. So when Megan Phelps ropes yeah. left the Westboro Baptist Church, she attributes it to oh, I wish I'd, I'd forgetting his name, but the guy who founded Jewlicious. Wasn't it David Suisa? No. David Abbott Ball. And he was the only one who engaged her on Twitter and would talk through her craziness as she was holding up signs like God hates Jews, all Jews should burn. And when Derek Black, the guy whose father founded Stormfront, um, got like exposed as a white nationalist on his college campus, it was Matthew Stevenson, this like Orthodox Jewish kid who invited him to Shabbos dinner. And I think that because Jews have, we know what it is, we, we are the target of the anti-Semitism, and we're also like weirdly in a, in a place of somewhat security in American society, like you don't engage marching groups of people with guns with conversation, but you can engage individuals. And I've just been struck how Jews have proven successful in stepping up to the fight on individuals, and that's like un- like like guns and conversations. All right, listen, listeners, so you, you clearly have two paths here. You either shoot Nazis yeah. uh, uh, in self-defense, of course, or you cook them delicious chicken. Yeah. Chol- what, what a chicken. Chol- like, could like, change just lives. A, just depends on your aesthetic preference. That's right. the, the, oh, problem is, the problem is, though, like the main forum of communicating with Nazis seems like Twitter, and that actually doesn't, like, I, I can't imagine that that's a good place to, like, disengage and de-escalate. <laughs> Those are, like, the opposite of Twitter's I, I don't know what your Twitter you're using, but... I have three followers, so I don't know this whole thing. This I, I don't. I, it's hard to know what the right response. I mean, the right internal response is like what? What do we feel? I think we're all sort of going through it, and we'd love to actually hear from you guys about how you feel, given everything that's going on. Um, write to us as always at unorthodox at tabletmag dot com. Oh, I understand your objection. I grant you the problems not small. But if you could see her, so my eyes. She wouldn't look Jewish at all. J. Crew, Unorthodox is celebrating our second anniversary and the fact that we passed the 100 episode mark of this show. We love doing this podcast and the community we've made with all of you. The money raised in the first Unorthodox fundraising drive last year helped us to get into year two. But now it's time to plan for year three, which we want to be bigger, funnier, and better than ever. Our ad revenue helps a ton, but it's a fraction of what we need to rent studio space and compensate the people who work so hard on our show, like Noah, our editor. Hi, Noah. Make me sound good. We're asking you, our listeners, to give again or to give for the first time so that we can grow in all sorts of directions. More music, more live shows, more special episodes. We know fundraising drives are super annoying, so we've put together a whole range of fun gifts to sweeten the deal. $18 gets you an unorthodox laptop sticker, $54 gets you a tote bag, and $72 gets you an invite to an exclusive cocktail party with us in New York City. Beyond that, we're offering a tour of Yale with Mark, a study session with Liel, dinner with all of us at Russ and Daughters, and so much more. Please help us keep unorthodox going strong. Visit tabletmag.com slash donate to make a contribution. And thank you so much. Yeah. 
Our Gentile of the Week is Rod Dreyer. He is a senior editor at the American Conservative and the author most recently of The Benedict Option, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation. Rod, thank you so much for being here. I know you have prayers to get to, so we won't take up too much of your time. It's the Feast of Theotokos today, right? That's right. It's the Feast of the Dormition in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which uh, marks the death of the the Virgin Mary. So you have not eaten some things for, for some weeks now, have you? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, we've been fasting for two weeks from meat, dairy, and oil, and uh, but today marks the end of the fast. This is something that used to be common across uh, uh, Catholic and Catholic Christianity, Western Christianity, but it's been lost in the modern age. This fasting, but. Orthodox Christianity keeps the ancient tradition. So, Rod, I think part of the reason why your your new book really resonated and became such a, such a hit is because it tapped into something that so many of us, even those of us who are, are not religious, are feeling, that the sense that the culture has just gotten crazy and, and things are insane and we want to get back to sort of simpler times and simpler living. So my question for you is, how do we do that? And can you do that if you're not religious? You know, I... Um I think that things are so advanced in terms of unwinding this fragmentation, this atomization in our culture that I don't see that there's, there are any strong forces to stop it. I, I believe that uh, we're just going to have to ride this thing out. And for Christians, uh, we have in our tradition uh, examples from the monks, uh, especially the Benedictine monks, who emerged out of the fall of the Roman Empire, and uh, they held on to their tradition in monasteries through uh, ritual prayer together and, and living as a community and suffering as a community, worshiping as a community and rejoicing as a community. We've lost this gift in American Christianity. And uh, I think that if we're going to hold on to it, we have to uh, bind ourselves much more deeply to our scripture and our prayer and things like that. But um, if you're not religious, I, it's hard for me to see how how you do this. I mean, you, you, you can try certainly to, um, to draw closer to your community, but I really believe that religion is the thing that bonds all cultures, not just Christian culture, all cultures, and, uh, it gives them, a, um, I guess you might call it an eschatological dimension, um, a transcendent dimension. So, uh, I, I, I hope that people who aren't religious can do this, but I, good luck to them because I don't know quite how they do it. As as you note in the book, this is a problem. I mean, even for sites of Christianity, uh, because you say that a lot of of churches just kind of, I don't know what the right word here is, uh, a bend in front of this great big cultural pressure and abandon uh, some of the principles required to to keep the storms at bay. Do, do could you could you say a bit more about that? How how do we how do we fight that? Sure. Well, um, there's a, a sociologist of religion called. Uh, uh, Christian Smith at the University of Notre Dame, and he's best known for coming up with a phrase called moralistic therapeutic deism to describe the de facto religion of American youth. And in a nutshell, what he says, it, it's a form of Christianity. It uses all the, the words and structures of Christianity, but it completely uh, hollows it out, hollows out the rigor and the, the, the prophetic aspect of Christianity from within. So instead of going to church to hear what God expects of us and what we what we have to do to be righteous, uh, we go to church to hear what we have to do to be happy and comfortable with ourselves. That kind of religion is simply not going to last, and it's no wonder that you're seeing so many young people falling away from the church, because there, there's nothing to that. So um, it, it 
what I think you have to do, we are going to have to do, and, um, and believers uh, in other faiths, like the Jewish faith, are going to have to do, is ground ourselves in a strong sense of the historical faith, and uh, one that, that does not roll with the times, does not uh, accept the zeitgeist, but rather stands against it. And this is a very difficult thing to do, and that's why I think you have to do it in community. Uh, Rabbi Mark Gottlieb in New York, I interviewed him for my book, and he said that, you know, you Christians have a lot to learn from we modern Orthodox Jews, because we're living in the world, but um, but we're not, you know, we're holding on to the ancient faith, even as we participate in the world. So what is the the Benedict option for listeners who haven't, um, who haven't read the book yet? Um, what What is this idea of community that you talk about? The title of the book comes, first of all, from a book by Alistair McIntyre, the philosopher, who wrote in his book After Virtue in 1981 that the Enlightenment did away with all transcendent sources of value in the West, but it was unable to come up with anything to replace God and the traditional functions of community. And uh, McIntyre said over the last two centuries or so, the West has unwound from the death of God and from uh, the, the death of traditional communities. And uh, he said that we are living at a time now uh, like the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, and he, he pointed to St. Benedict of Nursia, a, a young Christian man uh, around the year 500 who left the city of Rome, which was falling apart, and moved out to the woods to pray and to fast and to seek God's will. Uh, eventually, Benedict founded uh, an order of monks and left what is now called the Rule of St. Benedict, which is just a small book saying how to run a monastery. Well, what that has to do with us today is Christians today are not called to go to the monastery. We live in the world. But we can learn a lot about how to hold a community together, a worshiping community, by prayer together and discipline, by fasting, by uh, by keeping straight in front of us the idea that the world is a gift from God. The world is not something that is ours to do with whatever we like, but it is a gift from God. This is something that Benedictine monks have written into their everyday lives. Uh, the worship of God guides their entire lives. It's not just as it is for so many of us today just something we do on Sunday or, or on Holy Days, but it's something for every day. That sense of everyday piety, a sense of practicing the presence of God in the everyday, that's the gift of the Benedictine monks to us. Mm. You talk a lot about the vital role of discipline and practice and asceticism and the fast days. Um, what's the role of joy in creating these communities and in keeping your faith alive and your worship of God? You know, that's such a great question, because if these communities turn out to be nothing but the frozen chosen, as we say, or people who are who are very sad and, and strained in their piety, nobody's going to want to have anything to do with them. I certainly wouldn't. Um, but joy is a hard thing to write about, or at least I found it hard to write about. I know it when I see it. I, I wrote in the book about this group of Italian Catholics uh, who live in a, a, on the Adriatic Sea in Italy, called the Tipiloski, which is, is Italian for the usual suspects. They're very Chestertonian. They they are very serious about their faith, very orthodox in their Catholicism, but they're also really fun people. They have, they feast together. They um, they have parties together. They serve the community in joy, and it's it's an infectious thing. But it comes out of their orthodoxy because they believe that they are loved by God. Their God shows them mercy, and they believe in turn. To love God means to love their neighbor and to mm -hmm. love each other. 
Um, that, I think, has got to be the mark of a, of a truly Benedictine community, Benedict Option community. It's got to have that joy, because if it's, they've got to know what they're for, not just what they're against. Because I've seen these sort of communities where uh, Christians are very afraid of the modern world, and maybe they have a good diagnosis for what's wrong with the world, but um, they huddle together in fear, and uh, that's not attractive at all. They frighten mm-hmm. their kids. The kids often leave the faith because they don't want to have anything to do with that kind of misery. Can you talk for a minute about the reluctance of many American Christians to give up political power and the investment today, why many Christians, and probably particularly white Christians, don't want to give up the public sphere. They feel that America is their country and public American life should be Christian. Yeah, that's that's a really key point. Uh, I, I've written this book for conservative Christians, as I myself am, to wake us up to how we have allowed so much to slide within our own community, uh, in, in large part because we have focused all our activism on politics. We've thought that if we just, we could vote in the kingdom of God, that if we just get the right Republican in the White House and the right Republicans in Congress, you know, they'll, they'll protect, change the laws, protect the laws and everything will be fine. Meanwhile, we have seen a vast falling off uh, within the Christian church of, of young people leaving the church and those who stay there, they know absolutely nothing about Christian tradition and what it requires of us. It becomes marvelous therapeutic deism. And so what one of the things I do in this book is call out my fellow conservative Christians not to leave politics entirely because it's important to stay involved for the sake of the common good, but to reprioritize it and to realize that the survival of the church in this culture is at stake and uh, to turn away from this trying to seek worldly power and instead build up our own communities. Uh, this is something that, that really unnerves a lot of them because we have all within the Christian church believed without even thinking about it that this country is a Christian country. Well, now I believe we're a post-Christian country and making that shift is traumatic for people, that imaginary shift. Um, but I think it's necessary. I, I believe that a lot of us have thought about, you know, America as a shining city on the hill. Well, I think now we have, it's become more like, from a Christian point of view, Babylon. And uh, I, I've used the, the different talks I've given about the book, the, the, uh, the Hebrew exile in Babylon, as a metaphor for what uh, faithful, small Orthodox Christians are going through. We're called, as, as, as God spoke to the, the Hebrews in exile through the prophet Jeremiah, we're called to plant ourselves in Babylon, take lives, and grow and pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city. I, I love the exilic metaphor. Obviously, I'm a Jew. Uh, but at the same time, the, 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 the evil that we're, we're waiting to pass here, uh, that's kind of the entire culture. I mean, it's, it, what you're describing in the book is a situation in which Christians uh, in America might have won political power, but at the same time suffered a tremendous defeat that did take this country from a Christian phase or, or a Christian setting to, uh, to what you call a post-Christian setting, with which I you know, wholeheartedly agree. How do you, how do you wait that out? How do, you, how do you undo powers that are so incredibly powerful? I mean, you could probably say that Babylon was powerful too once upon a time, but mm-hmm. what's, is, is there a blueprint? Is there, is there like a game plan? Hmm. And is there... No. Well, I'll just add perhaps 
because just we're low on time here. And is there maybe anything in this post-Christian nation that you would take with you to the bunkers while you waited out? I mean, I think Liel's just given a characterization of the post-Christian nation as an entirely evil existence. Um, and I don't think you agree with that. No, I, I don't think, I, I don't agree with it at all. But it is the case that we, when I call it a post-Christian nation, I'm, I'm speaking of a, a post-religious nation, too. And uh, I believe that there is no blueprint for this, because we have never lived through anything like this. Pope Benedict XVI has liked, and Alistair McIntyre have likened our time to fall of the Roman Empire in the West. The thing about that is that we were just at the beginning of Christianity in the West back then. Today, we've lived through Christianity. We've lived through the Enlightenment. So we don't know what's to come next. We who are believers, whether we're Jewish, whether we're, we're Christian, are going to have to form what I call small arcs, little communities built around our churches, our synagogues, um, to ride this out. Uh, the, the, what we're living through now is what has been called liquid modernity, a time when everything is changing so fast that nothing has time to, to solidify. I don't. I think if we try to stand there and stop it, we're going to be like King Canute trying to turn the tide back. I think the thing is to come up with strategies to ride this out and wait uh, for for calmer times, which could be centuries from now. But what what choice do we have? So, Rod, you sent over a really interesting question um, about secular Jews and Jewish culture, um, and it's something we've been sort of toying with on the show. So, basically, your question was, how do secular Jews believe Jewish culture can endure without religion? I think we got to let Lee. I'll start with this one. <laughs> uh, I I think it's I I don't see a possibility here. I think it's it's a fallacy to believe that yes, okay, Judaism is is a is a people. Or Jews are people as as well as a religion, but uh, without without God and without the eternal traditions, I think this this melts into air. I think this just becomes a, uh, a just kind of a fading uh, you know vapor of of a, a faint memory that means nothing to no one and inspires no one and guides nothing and is just vanquished by these forces of the world, which by the way I do think are evil. I think we live in a in a uniquely evil time because uh, because Rod is right. There is no uh, attention paid to the soul. I don't mean because we're not pious or we pray or because we let, you know, gay people marry. Not at all. I mean, it's because we, we live these, these, these fast, liquid, soulless lives that don't allow for real connections and real communities. Uh, the only way to really fight that is with tradition. Uh, and, and Jews have gotten really, really bad at it. And uh, some of us will survive by, by benedicting it out, uh, but most of us probably won't as Jews. Tell us what and, you really think. <laughs> oh, yeah. we have the whole hour. I mean, Shira, let's, let's get you, let's get a rebuttal. Benedicting it out, I mean, I'm definitely of the opinion that the Haredim are going to outlive us all. But I don't see that as necessarily the idea. I think I'm, I actually am totally with Liel. I, Liel and I are usually on the same side of things like this. I just think that when you're sort of nostalgia, what was the best time includes a time of really horrendous feelings about sexism and racism and certainly about gay people. I mean, you just have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of good in modern society that we can't paint with such a broad brush. But when it comes to, I think, secular Jewish identity, I mean, I'm going to go back, Rod, to your you know it when you see it when it comes to Jews. I think that without the living spring of Torah and mitzvot, uh, the commandments, the sacred obligations of Judaism, Judaism, of course, will die out. 
Um, but I don't think, but I don't think also that a Judaism that's only full of people who are piously faithful um, will be able to continue in any health, right? I think the culture, uh, like Judaism, has always kind of continued to like spring forth. Um, there was the Bundists and the socialists, and today we have, you know, tons of artists who are Jews, and they all, you know, maybe it was their parents or their grandparents who were religious, and I I honestly don't know if people who don't have a religious connection can stay Jewish. I think the state of Israel, you have a lot of secular Israelis who might feel like they're Israeli and not Jewish. I think that will be an experiment, um, but I think, but I, but they come from the sort of religious community. I think that community will continue to like spring forth secular Jews. And I, I mean, think Israel is kind of a huge Benedict option in nation <laughs> form, to be honest. Right. Sure. Sure. But I, but well, I think I, that I think having a religious community that includes in its numbers, people who aren't observant um, and who care deeply about their being called Jewish and their like investment in being Jewish um, is something that's unique to Jews, right? Jews are a nation where this holdover of an ancient way of identifying where your country and your nation were all one mixed in thing. Um, and somehow we've just sort of survived that out. And so we hold over this weird identity um, that doesn't really fit in the modern world. Um, but I think that that actually makes us stronger. And so we'll keep bringing forth secular people from the religious ranks. I think that's good. Guys, I I disagree profoundly with both of you. Um, I think the secular Jews are, I mean, I don't think it's a problem. I think that like we are so deeply Jewish, all of us. And this idea that I, I come back to this every time we have this discussion is like, if there's a list, we're on it, right? Like it comes back to, I mean, sorry that this is rooted in right, persecution. So we're, letting, we're letting Hitler define us now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what the law of return is. Yeah. Wait, but do you think that secular Jews beginning secular Jews beginning secular... Like, I agree that there will always be secular Jews, but do you think that, like, with cut off from the religious tradition, they would persist in their Jewish identity for millennium? Yes, and I think you guys are... Really? Like, I think you, it's easy to sort of over... To, I guess underestimate the power of, like, Jewish music and Jewish food and Jewish, like, culture, like, that's actually... Not that religion isn't required in it, but that there are other ways that people are connecting to their Judaism that maybe are different, but are not necessarily non-existent. No, you know what they're, I mean? they're great and they're important. But do you think they have the same like staying power? Like, I agree with you that like Judaism needs its secular Jews and should welcome them. And there are so many resources. Judaism, whether or not you believe in God, Judaism is amazing in so many formats. But do you think that those aspects um stick like and can stick through generations without the like life-giving force of the faith behind it i'm sorry to interrupt but rod in in the in the jewish monastery of the benedict option this is what it would be like (laughs) endless arguing yeah it's not it's not calming at Um, all before we let you go i just want to say that we have here actually a hebrew copy of the rule of saint benedict torat uh uh, that i got from the head of the hebrew-speaking catholics in israel when they tried to create a benedictine kibbutz back in the 1940s so we should find out what happened to that. <laughs> that is a thing of beauty. Oh, that's wonderful. And look, what do I get for being Gentile of the Week? What's my prize? I mean, I technically, you're Gentile Jones. of every week. Um, you're probably the most Gentile. Like, you're the biggest Gentile we've ever had. So thank you. You give you know us what? real street cred. And, and we will send you, we, we, we will ponder this, this Talmudic yes, it's question. it's probably bagels. And, exactly right. <laughs> so most we'll wait likely, till after, after yeah. this is all over for you. Most this likely it involves smoked fish. But we can't thank you enough. <laughs> Rod, thank you so much. Our listeners can get the Benedict Option, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation at all their, you know, consumerist booksellers um, in in our post-Christian America. 
Well, friends, thank you so much for having me on. And please pray for me as I pray for you, because we're all going to need each other in this time to come. Amen. Amen. I, I promise you that. Thanks, Rod. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What we think is chic, unique, and quite adorable. They think he's odd and sad and Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Are you a listener of this podcast in Melbourne? If so, I think I think you're really in luck. Our producer and lead Australian, Alyssa Goldstein, uh, she's back at home in Australia this week, and she's hosting an unorthodox meetup. Uh, it's Sunday, August 20th at Antique Bar in Easternwick. Easternwick. I definitely said that wrong, but she'll say it right. It starts at 7.30 p.m., and you guys are all welcome. If you're interested in going, just email her at egoldstein at tabletmag.com and tell us how it went. So, guys, this week we actually, I think we're breaking a new record. We have three guest Jews. Our guests are Leah Gottfried, Jessica Schechter, and Danny Hoffman. They are the producers and actors in the hit web series Soon by You, which is basically like Friends if Ross and Rachel were modern Orthodox, or the Israeli <laughs> show Shrugim if it was in New York City. So why don't we go around, since there's three of you, you guys introduce yourselves. Tell us about the character, that because you guys are all actors on the show as well. Tell us about the character you play on the, on the show and... How it's like similar or different to your to your actual your real life character? 
Mm, I love this question. Um, I This is Leia, and I play Sarah Jacobs. She's a Jap, um, and I have a lot of fun playing her because I get to do things that I would never be able to do in my real life. And she can be kind of obnoxious um, and superficial, but we're kind of similar in the way that she's pretty gutsy, um, or at least I want to be as gutsy as her, and we're pretty different probably in her outfit choices she wears a lot of pink and a lot of sparkles pink. yeah uh this is danny hoffman i play a character named david he is a rabbinical student one of the cool things about this character in this show is that he's a rabbi who is very much not what you would just expect when you hear oh the main character is a rabbi uh he's a lot more relatable perhaps than you would imagine a uh a rabbi character would be right off the bat. I relate to him very closely. And as far as the clothes, I wouldn't have even brought it up, except for the fact that Leia did. Um, <laughs> we wear the exact same clothes. My clothes, Danny's clothes, are David's clothes. Uh, and that works out pretty well. But I see, so the show is all about single, you guys are sort of single and in your 20s, you actually yes. have a, a ring on your finger. Yes. So that seems to be one big difference. Good Fake call. news. <laughs> <laughs> I always the have ring, to remind um, him to take it off. Uh, I, the actor, Danny, I am married. Um, but uh, David is very much not so. And Jessica? This is Jessica. I play a character named Noah, and Noah is a fiery activist and feminist. She's always looking for a cause, and uh, I really share Noah's passion. I really get that, and you know, she really wants to kind of change the world and have people do things the right way, and she really can't stand any form of injustice or any slighting she feels on behalf of her friends or basically anyone. Um, but I think the key difference between me and Noah is I'm a lot more chilled out, I'd say, and I can kind of roll with it and let people live and let live, but Noah does not. So if I spoke every thought that I had in my head at all times, then that's where I would meet my character. She's like your id. I guess so. <laughs> You're the kind of person who could keep a fish alive for yeah, a year you and a half. Yeah, keep a fish alive. Um, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, you the test. So soon by you. I had not heard oh, that phrase soon before. Soon by you. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us what that is for our listeners. I mean, you either you either get it and it like really means something mm -hmm. and it like triggers you in some way, or you're just like, oh, those yes. are just three words. Yeah, <laughs> triggers a lot. Soon by you. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, they might have heard it in some other terms. In Hebrew, it's bekrovitz um, lech, uh, mm -hmm. right? Or mirza shem by you. Or mirza shem by you. It's a very uh, well intentioned. And simultaneously, extremely condescending phrase that a lot of people uh, say to uh, people who aren't married yet, perhaps at occasions where marriage is celebrated, engagement parties, weddings, things of that nature. Chris's funerals. Um, where they're, uh, they're essentially saying, we hope that you get married soon. But for uh, some people for who might be having an issue with the dating world or for whom that is not a priority, that is not, you know, the... the they don't take it as as well. So how better or worse or different is the modern Orthodox dating scene from from the wild, vicious jungle that most of our listeners know through a, a thicket of apps and Tinders and Swipeys and things? I think it's a different kind of jungle, but equally equally vicious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think there's more pressure. I think yeah. in... in secular society there's you know there's it's still a jungle and it's awful but the fact that you'd be in your late 20s and not be married would not be a thing it wouldn't be something that was kind of held against you mm -hmm. but in our community that there's a tremendous amount of pressure to get married and get married young yeah 
so much of Orthodox life revolves around the family that if you're single at a certain point, it's like, what do you do? Like, how do you celebrate your Shabbat and holidays? You know, you go to friends or go to other families, but you're always sort of this outside piece. Um, and I think that also contributes to the pressure, like Jess said, um, and can make the whole process just feel isolating for yeah. a lot of people. One of the funniest scenes is when the other Sarah character, because there are obviously two Sarahs on the show, um, she's talking to her aunt, who's always trying to set her up. And she says, you know, I think I'm going to take a break on dating for a while. And then she immediately gets a call on the other line. And it's her mother saying, mm-hmm. I heard you're stopping dating. What's going on? Like, have you heard of this person's neighbor? Like, I mean, is that real? Like, is that is that... It's it's very real. Um, that character, that aunt character, was actually based on a real aunt of mine. Um, and I pretty much, like, my conversations with her, I'll just, like, take what she says and write it into the show. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny because so many people, like, watch that character and they'll say, nobody is like that. <laughs> like, that's just too much. And it's like, mm. Yeah, okay, Dina is. <laughs> exactly. Leia, you've sort of said you've wanted to show the awkward comedic side of dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and you certainly don't hold back. I think you're like the Lena Dunham for, like, the modern Orthodox oh set. Thank you. You are oh the voice. I love that. Um, no, I mean, how yeah. much of the show reflects your own experiences and have there been things where you're like uh this happened to me but it can't go in the show or like this was too close to home (laughs) yes all of the above um so there's a little bit of an interesting phenomenon in my life where a lot of times i'll go on dates or have relationships and i'll i'll take things from those experiences and write about them and some of it definitely makes it into the show but recently what's been happening is that after we produce an episode, like bizarre things will happen that reflect, you know, things that have occurred in the episodes. Um, and it's super weird. So, you know, you arrived as an artist. Life <laughs> begins imitating it your does, art. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but yeah, I love exploring all those awkward moments. It's kind of, it's really cathartic for me, you know, after I have a particularly difficult experience but to hold write on. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that also could kind of mess with your mind a little bit, right? Now you're sitting in a date, which is already like a high pressure situation. And there's like a third of your brain or, or some part of your brain is like, well, he may be nice, but we have production beginning in three days and I need a storyline. Like, does that happen? <laughs> well, let me just say, I'm, I'm never out of stories. So, you know, if I'm on a date and it's bad, that's that's actually a good thing because I get a story. It's like a bonus. But at this point, at least you're not self-sabotaging for the pu- purpose of the show? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I find that that's unnecessary. I find that life you know, <laughs> sabotages itself. Okay, but, so, okay. and if I may, and now, worst date you've ever had. Please, go. Oh, God. I don't know if I can. Okay. Um, I once had a date where... Um, it went it was really terrible and like he was driving really fast and i was scared for my life and <laughs> we we get to the restaurant and he starts like talking about motorcycles and i show like a little bit of interest and he right away he like latched onto that and was like you're so cool you like motorcycles and then after it was done i definitely did not want to go out again and i just you know was getting out of the car and i said something like okay you know thanks have a great night and i sort of mumbled that and he thought i said something like i had a great night so he goes oh me too would you like to go out for breakfast tomorrow and i died inside and then you know Somehow that was taken for a yes. So I had to go out with him again. Um, for breakfast? For breakfast. Which is so hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. He was like from out of town and he was only in for like a couple of hours. Uh. So at least I knew after that that he was like on a plane going away and I never had to see him again. But that was pretty bad. So worst date? Worst date. My worst date. So I, I have many. But in uh, the top contender is I, I went out with a guy who took me to... Um, 
took me to a very fancy restaurant and he was dressed kind of like a hillbilly and uh, he wouldn't speak uh, and there was a lot of awkward silences and I asked him you know why are there so many awkward silences and he goes like I feel comfortable with silence I think we should feel comfortable with silence and then he proceeded not to talk for the rest of the date as a test to our relationship and then he took me to <laughs> and then he took me to um, the Marriott Marquis where there's this rotating lounge on the top floor um, but what he failed to mention is that he's extremely phobic of heights so when we went into the glass elevator Oh my god, that elevator's insane. He started having a panic attack, and uh, we got out on the 42nd floor. He, I was coaching him through, you know, him telling him to breathe. He's asking about like where we're going in our you relationship. Should have said, I love heights. I think you should feel comfortable with heights. And, and silence <laughs> right now. Yeah. But the kicker is that we had to walk down 42 flights of stairs. So. Oh my god, that, that bonds a couple. So, so Leia and Jessica, is, are you guys at the point now? Because everyone watches this show. Like mm. everyone, I imagine who you guys are going on dates with. I hope watches this show. Mm. Is it weird? Are they like, don't use this in your show? Don't like, yeah. Some, oh yeah. god, it, it's it's so weird, and it's getting weirder. I just had the the craziest experience where you know this one guy reached out to me and he was like giving me all these compliments and he really loved the show and he thought it was brilliant and I was like okay great and then I joked about something like oh that's gonna go in the show and he like freaked out and he was like I can't do this um you know I cannot I can't be, date a celebrity <laughs> I can't be authentic under these circumstances and he just like I, I thought it was so funny and weird because like first of all he wasn't that interesting that I was gonna write about him um <laughs> and also you know I was yeah. You joking. know who you are, person <laughs> listening out there. Yeah, so it, it does get weird sometimes. Um, I don't know if I prefer that they have seen it or haven't seen it. Because like, if they haven't seen it, maybe that's that can be like a little bit insulting. Like, what do you mean? How, how have you not seen the show? Um, <laughs> they're like, it's a, a short series. I mean, it's easy to watch, right? Exactly. Like, there's four episodes. They're pretty short, you know? Yeah. Do your, do your research before the date. Yeah, right. Um, but at the same time, there's so many like interviews and information about us out there. So... You know, they kind of come in with a little bit of an unfair advantage where they know all these things well, about they you. They think they know us, but they have no exactly, idea. This exactly. This is the diary of it. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when people stop being polite. Oh, sorry. Um, and start so, getting real. So, Danny, the first episode centers around your character trying to track down a girl who he actually sits at the wrong table at a, at a blind date. Um, it was named the Sarah, right table. The right table. But so <laughs> then he loses her phone number and he tracks, you know, he's running across the city tracing her down. Our producer, Shira, who is stuck outside because there was no room for her in here. She takes issue with the idea that two modern Orthodox Jews in New York City would not have like a million friends in common and be like that, that that's the way in which you couldn't really find her mm. for a while. You had to actually physically go see her yeah. and track her down. Like she's like, how, how is that even possible? I mean, I've had experiences where I met someone at a party or on Shabbos. It always happens on Shabbos where you can't get their information. And so you have like a first name or a very generic last name. And then you go to look them up afterwards. Right. And there's amazing of them. And there are sure. no pictures. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, yeah. it's, so it, I, I hear, but I, I had definitely had experiences where it was very difficult to track someone. I, I love met. that idea that on like Shabbos you can't get like there that's such a good like there's so many app for that. There should be like an AirDrop app in which you don't have to do anything. Just leave your phone in like AirDrop mode and be like, caveat number is like sure. I'm just gonna like. And like the rabbis would be like, fine, oh. dispensation for that. If you guys are gonna, <laughs> it's for the sake of marriage, so it's allowed. It should totally yeah. be. Allowed. So okay, listen. Um, Netflix, <laughs> Netflix people are listening. Right, they're, Hello, they're, Netflix. They're, they're Hello, Netflix. In. What, um, what's what's going on? What's what does the future hold? Where where is the show headed? Hopefully, what to Netflix. Uh, that is the dream. Um, we we really want to get this 
you know, authentic portrayal of Orthodox Jews out there to a broader audience. And so many people have reached out to us who have really never met a Jewish person in their life. And they watch this show. And the best comment I get is just that you guys are so normal, you know, because <laughs> the um, the Jewish characters they see are usually like ultra Orthodox or completely secular. And there's never really this sort of in between just modern Orthodox Jew. And that's what we're really passionate about getting across, especially, you know, this the Orthodox dating scene, which is so fascinating. And there's so much to explore. It's really something that's never been done before. And we feel the time is ripe to do that. I also think that uh, today, especially on Netflix, as you mentioned, there's a lot of interest uh, in these subcultures that are very uh, specific, but yet there's a lot in these subcultures that people outside of those cultures can relate to as well. Uh, I mean, Aziz Ansari's show, Master Mm -hmm. of None, has a lot to do with his specific cultural upbringing and the way that that kind of manifests Mm -hmm. in New York City. So I don't think it's uh, too uncommon for a show focusing on a culture like ours is to be of interest to the general public and uh, maybe even to find a home on a place like Netflix. So so I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't um, watched the show yet. And where, where actually can they watch the show? It's all on YouTube. So we have a channel. It's called Soon By You. Search it on YouTube. You'll find the first four episodes. As when well, are we getting more? Very soon. We are in soon pre-production. Soon by us. Very soon. <laughs> um, we're in pre-production for episode five right now. So, so something that comes up on a date and sort of derails it almost is this idea where one character says, oh, I want to make Aliyah. Mm-hmm. And the other character is like, oh, I, I don't. Is that, is that something that comes up a lot? I mean, is that, is, that, is that a red flag deal breaker or is that something like the way your character, Danny, you wanted to sort of wait it out and see? I, I, I think it really depends on, on the person. I know I went on a lot of dates um, in my early dating where uh, people were very set on making Aliyah and that was a deal breaker for them. So one or two dates in, they said, listen, I need to know if you're up for that commitment. And I'm like, can we just get coffee? <laughs> Have breakfast? <laughs> just, I, mean, I haven't even had an Do you want together. to serve in the army? He's like, I'd like a macchiato. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's okay good. with so you. So I think it's, it's, it's a value system. It's what people are passionate about. Everyone has their set of deal breakers. And I think for some, Aliyah could be one. Yeah, but a lot of people have actually reached out after that scene and they've said, this was my experience. And, you know, they also had something where they really connected with somebody, but, you know, they just couldn't make it work because of this logistical thing. Um, so it was really close to home for a lot of people. I've had people reach out to me, people who are um, a bit older and who have been married for a while who say that they had this conversation and they decided to, uh, you know, wait, let, you know, cross that bridge down the line and they're still talking about it and they're still waiting to cross that bridge. And, you know, they've been married, married for 10, wow. 20 years. Wow. already. Yeah. Huh. So I think it's a very present issue in a lot of, you know, a lot of dates in this community. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Our, our listeners can check out Soon By You on YouTube. Um, there's a ton of like extra content on YouTube. There's like videos of you guys being interviewed. There's a ton of stuff. And, you know, from, from your mouth to Netflix's ears. Mm-hmm. Right? Inshallah, as we say in Yishif. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank this you. is great. Thank you. Wishing and hoping and thinking and praying, planning and dreaming each night of his job. Guys, it's awkward to ask for money, but here I am doing it. I feel very uncomfortable. So, you know, 
I don't. Give us money. We need it to make the show. It's simple. Yeah, please, please consider making a donation to help us keep the show going for 100 more episodes. We've got tons of fun swag like tote bags and stickers and an invitation to an exclusive unorthodox cocktail party. Visit tabletmag.com slash donate to give. Give us, we accept, we accept payment in Bitcoins, in Ben Cohen's, <laughs> in, I want to say Butt Cohen's, but that's weird. Butt Cohen's is a little bit off. That's like the next or, one. Or bit, bit butts. Bit butts. That doesn't work. Bit well. buttnicks. Yeah. Okay, enough about me. Please give us a donation and we will stop asking you for money as soon as possible. All right, guys, what a show this has been. Whew. This was a lot. Yeah. We got, a lot, we got a lot done. Yeah, it was really, really nice. I feel like two really, really good discussions. Should we end it on a, on a high note with some mazel tovs? Yeah, let's, let's do some mazel tovs. LL, want to kick us off? My mazel tov is to Israel's greatest literary talent. Orly Costa Bloom, who is an amazing writer, uh, far better than the other Israeli writers who you know. I mean, by leaps and bounds. Um, and she has a new book out in English this month called An Egyptian Novel, uh, beautifully translated. You should buy it. You should read it. It is fantastic. Shira? So, of the five weddings I have this summer, I'm a bridesmaid in two. Wait, it's the summer? It's not even this year? No, it's starting. It's like last week through September 14th. Wow. It's like pretty crazy. But two, yeah. Soon by you. So, I mean, I mean, from your Amir mouth. Tzashem. From your Tzashem. Um, But two of them I'm the bridesmaids at. And I want to give a special huge mazel tov to Leah Sarna and Ethan Schwartz, who are getting married. And to Marissa Deering and Ramon Gonzalez, who are also getting yeah, married. Yeah, to your friends who actually and, like you, and not I, the others who just want you to come yeah, and Yeah, like, wait for you guys to just get married. Yeah. But, um, well, okay, one of them's like this Coptic wedding that I had to go to as part of a story I was reporting. So I guess that one doesn't really count. But it does count But for they you. got to, like, literally, they get wrapped in these, like, fancy capes and they wear crowns. And it's, like, all about all the about wife that. submitting to her husband. And it's amazing. Oh. Um, I was super into it. That will it be capes no and crowns in the, in the buttnik wedding? Uh, there, buttnik I will have to do some revision. Okay. Dewan, I, I'll call you. I know a great priest, by the way, if you uh, if you want to hook up. So um, anyways, Marissa and Leia, you guys are the best, and I am so excited to be in your weddings, and a huge mazel tov. I'm going to jump off that. First, I'm going to give you, Shira, a mazel tov, because you did a freaking yeah. awesome job. For Brengen, yeah. You, 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 you for brought it. Um, I'm you really you know, it today. impressed. Always happy to have you on. It's so nice. We actually have no idea where Mark is. <laughs> I've killed him. Yeah, like I don't. He's like <laughs> in the closet here somewhere. We've we've just um, he's he's tied in the trunk of his Prius. Um, so yeah, I also have a Mazel Tov to my 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 friends because they threw me a bachelorette party this weekend and Ooh. it was freaking epic. We went to Woodstock. We did <gasps> yoga. We like ate amazing food. We played a lot of funny games. Um, it what we I mean it was amazing. We put patches on denim shirts that said our names. It was like my I mean, it was my fever dream. That's so. So wild. There were crazy. stickers, patches, there were denim, bubbles. yoga, yeah, artisanal cheese. It got, yeah, it got for bringing. Yeah, it got wild. Um, so thanks to them because they are awesome, and even more awesome, they listen to this show. So thanks, guys. You're the best. I hope you like wearing lavender. <laughs> Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Our executive producers are Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talishkin, and our show is edited by the great Noah Levinson. This is our first week without our wonder intern, Sophie Oresti, and I've cried every single day. Our music is by Golem, rabbinic supervision by my girl Colette Bloom, whose birthday is today, kosher slaughtering by the real Frozen Chosen, aka the Jews of Alaska call themselves that we record at argo studios which is a safe space we're proud to be part of the panoply network shalom friends